Welcome back to another episode of the Blacktop Podcast. We're heading into the final stretch of this season, but there's still lots to talk about. Got my boys with me. How y'all doing today? Good, we good. We solid. We solid. What up, boys? What up? What up? <laughs> there's a lot to cover today. I mean, today alone, we Kyrie with the 50-piece. That's some crazy stuff. But before we hop into that, y'all know how we got to start off here. We got our takes. Anybody want to start? All right, I'll go first. I'll go first. So <laughs> my take of the day is next year, I think the Nuggets are coming out the West barring any other injuries. I think with how amazing Jokic is playing, how statistically and like every advanced stat, he's like the leader in it. And he's doing that with like all second unit guys. I think when you reinsert Jamal Murray, who's one of the best 3 and D guards in this league right now, in my opinion, when you reinsert MPJ, who's like 6'10", so he's almost uncontestable on KD's level in that sense. I think when you have all that offensive firepower with somebody who is unarguably, unequivocally, who has no like real equal in the sense of him as the center and as the main man ushering the offense and as a passer, I think the Nuggets have all the tools to really be a force next year. Granted, I think they're saying that MPJ and Jamal Murray are going to come back this year. I think that's cool. But I don't think there will be enough time to really gel together to be that force that they can be. And when you think about it, they still got vets like Will Barton. Aaron Gordon's playing really solid, was in like early DPOY conversations in the start of the season. Not to mention one of my favorite rookies because of his name, Bowens Highland. He's really coming into his own. I think when you have all these weapons around the greatest passing big man to ever play this game, I think next year, I think next year's their year in my opinion. Just lose to Milwaukee. But yeah, that's my take. What y'all think? I like I like the take. I just don't see them being better than Memphis next year. I just don't. I don't. I just don't. I think Memphis is so good as is right now. Obviously, Denver is without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. But just seeing the progression that the Grizzlies have made, and I want to add, they are in second place. And what did I say last week? They're gonna finish first. So I mean, it's it's coming. I think I think I think the Nuggets are in a place where they're a young enough team that can continue to develop and they'll still be a playoff contender next year. I think they're with all their guys back, they're going to be a top-four team, in my opinion. So I agree with that, that they'll be in contention. Coming out the West, I think that's tough, considering I think you still have the Suns, the Warriors, um, and even though they're a year older with some of their guys between Chris Paul and Steph Curry for their respective teams, uh, I think the Grizz are pretty good. Like I think they're the team to beat in the future in the, in the West. And... Like, that's not to say the team like the Clippers, where they're going to get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard back. So I can't say definitively that they'd come out the West, but that is a pretty solid take considering how good they've been this year with Jokic and without their two best best players outside of, um, you know, the Joker. Yeah, no, I, I think I kind of, I'm along the same sentiment as, um, as Ruben. Like, and, and to some degree, I actually agree that they could come out the West. Uh, I mean, we've seen Jokic really develop into, like, honestly, a top two player in the league, and I don't think that's an argument to be made at the at this moment, at least. Um, and I, I do think, like, it's hard to say where their future lies because they are a young core that they really 
should develop certain players and also make moves to possibly be possibly be like coming out of the West next year. Um, just because, in my opinion, MPJ is one of those guys that I wouldn't want on my roster right now because um, he is pretty injury prone. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. It's really all that injury prone talk is kind of being shoved at Zion right now. But uh, MPJ hasn't really he's he's definitely shown the hype and just like Zion, but he's also like missed a lot of time. And I think he would be the person to move in my eyes if they were to actually come out of the West. And, and then I would see that take being quite probable, honestly. But uh, yeah. Yeah, man, I'll talk about MPJ. The back shots, man. They get you. Oh, man. <laughs> we are not starting that again. <laughs> no, I, I agree, though. I think the West is very... I think the West is very... What's the word? Very fluid and who could come out next year barring any other injuries because i mean even this year it's already pretty tight well actually not even really because phoenix is kind of in their own league right now in terms of regular season success but yeah no i think the west isn't so much i mean we're coming out of an era where it was like undoubtedly who's going to be number two that year you know who's going to be number two to golden state to where now you have like i mean we've already said like the memphises this Phoenixes and Golden State is still in there. There's like three or four or five, even five teams that can really like be in contention next year for that first spot, which is great because I mean, I love parody in the league. But yeah, no, that's just my take. All right, boys, and y'all want to volunteer to go next? I got one. If, uh, All right, Ruben. I got one. Christian's going to like this take. Jason Tatum will win the MVP next year. Jason Tatum will win MVP next year. If you see the series of performances that he's put on and the number of just incredible nights that he's had throughout the year this so far this season, you look at it. His 54 night against Brooklyn on Sunday, he shot 53% from the field, 14 of 17 from free throw line, five assists, three uh, five rebounds, three assists. I mean... You look at his other big nights, like when he's dropped 50s, had these huge performances. He's been super efficient from the field on these big performances. And let's, you know, Boston was a team that was a, a, a bottom feeder at one point during this year. No one expected them to be sitting in the, in the sixth spot, if I'm not mistaken. No, fifth now. They, are, they have moved into fifth. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown look like they're building some sort of cohesion together. And that was the biggest question coming in, into this year is how well will they play together? That's still to be a work in progress. But I think with Tatum's game taking another level, I think at this point we already know who's going to be the number one guy. And Tatum is already an all-star. He's a guy who I think will be an all-NBA player this year. There's no reason to think that he can't win the MVP next year considering how fluid the MVP conversation has been in the last, what, three years? I mean, it went from Giannis to Joker. Looks like it's going to be Joel this year. Next year, I, I very much could be John Morant, Jason Tatum in the conversation, but I'm pretty strong. I'm, I'm pretty damn confident that Jason Tatum is going to be in the top three conversation if not actually win it. Because the level that he's playing at right now, obviously he got healthy. There was a point where I think he missed a few games early in the season, right? between him and Jalen Brown. Mostly Jalen Brown missed a lot of time, but they're healthy now. 
They look like a good team. Tatum is taking full reins of that roster, of that team. They added Derek White, like we spoke about the last few episodes. Like, Tatum looks like a top 10 player in the league right now, if he's not already a top 10 player in the league. Um, like, he's going head, to head and toe with, with guys like Kevin Durant. He's performing on the biggest stages against some of the best teams in the league right now. And he just turned 24, right? I think he just turned 24. So, yeah, I mean, next year, there's a pretty good chance if he continues this, like, this, con- this, this, this play, carries that into the playoffs, because it looks like right now they're going to finish in the top five. And considering the, the, the injuries that the Chicago Bulls have, the Celtics could finish in the top four of the Eastern Conference. And they were sitting at, what, 10th and 11th at one point this season? So, I mean, again, that, that that type of carryover has to happen next year. But I think if he can continue to grow based off this season and the projections and the trajectory he's already had this year, there's a very good chance that he can win MVP next year. And um, could he could very much develop into the face of the league, in my opinion. What do you guys think? I know Christian likes that take. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree at all. I think, like... The thing is, I I think the biggest spectacle about him is that he is like a true mid-range player that, um, I mean, in my opinion, like, I'm not one for storylines all the time, but I feel like he's definitely shown that he gets his points, like, everywhere, and he has really bad off-nights. Like, he can have off-nights in a three and still produce, um, which is, I think, different from a lot of players in the NBA right now, if you look at kind of the kind of shooting climate, I guess. Like, he, he's, like, kind of always a producing player or he always finds ways to put stats on the board. I will say, like, from an honest opinion, though, I think the one thing he can kind of develop more, and this will, I think, come down to, like, who's around him next year is, like, um, his other contributing stats. Just because he's, like, pretty a pretty average, like... Um, like he's not an average rebounder by any means, but he's obviously not like an, uh, a freak of a rebounder, and he doesn't necessarily put up um, like crazy assist stats either. When he is a like a plus defender at the end of the day, so I think it's just like the matter of him like developing into like a like a kind of a multifunctional star that kind of what brings him to the top. Um, but I think like for him, he has hit his ceiling for sure. Um, I love that guy. That's all yeah. I, can say. <clears throat> I just want to add his counting stats this year: twenty-six and a half points a game, eight point two rebounds, four point two assists, and zero point nine steals, which is basically a steal a game. He's shooting thirty-three percent from the field, which is just under the average. His field goal percentage has taken a hit, just considering he's taking um, actually he's taking as many shots as he did last year. But it's a bit different considering, you know, where their season has kind of gone. Mm. But the one the one factor that I missed in my in my argument there is marketability. That's everyone loves Jason Tatum. Everyone thinks that, oh, he's this he's this heir apparent to Kobe Bryant. Right? And the Celtics and Tatum alone get a lot of national media coverage. So that's already a big factor when it comes to the conversation regarding MVP. People praise him. And even though they were saying things like, dude's a ball hog, doesn't pass a ball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The guy is on the front. He's on the front page of the news, so to speak. 
And so that's a huge factor when it comes to arguing and discussing who's going to be the MVP. And Tatum's had that since he came into the league. And he's had playoff experience since he came to the league. So, I mean, I think all all the encompassing things around Jason Tatum are just leading to him being an MVP getter at some point in his career. And I really feel like it could be next year considering the trip. Like, just the way he's playing right now and the way it looks like he's carrying the Celtics as the number one guy, it, it's like it's almost hard to argue that this guy is going to be MVP getter at some point. Yes. I 100% agree. In my opinion, I think when it comes to like the, the Kobe disciples, I think Jason Tatum is better than Devin Booker, in my opinion. 100%. Like, Devin Booker's, Devin Booker's dope, don't get me wrong. But I think the fact that Jason Tatum's 6'8", and he can do all of Kobe's moves, is disgusting. That, and he has a 7-foot wingspan, I think he will 100%. If it's not next year, he will definitely... He will definitely have one somewhere down the line. And I think he'll be in that conversation for years to come. He's one of those guys that he's on the level of where you pencil him for all-star right away. Like, you're not ever even going to question, like, uh, you know, is he going to do this, do that? I will say, though, even though everybody calls him a ball hog, who the fuck did I, Who's, like, the picture boy of that? Fucking Kobe Bean Bryant. And I think with, like, how his game has evolved, we see him how he's starting to pass a bit more. Granted, that I think that all kind of stems from the fact that he kind of got called on that, but he's starting to do it a bit more. I think the main thing, though, is that as much as he does get buckets, I think it all is relying on him becoming a better passer because I don't think you can win the MVP on 4.2 assists per game. I think if you get up to, like, if he averages, like, a solid... I mean, his numbers already are pretty in there, but I think if you give him a solid 27, 8, and 6, he's definitely in that conversation. I mean... This is a dude who is, like, the clutchest of the clutch. He's been in playoff situations already at such a young age. And, yeah, I agree that I think the whole J and J thing was so dumb to be like, oh, can this work, can this not work? Because, I mean, these are two of the best young buckets in the game. Jason Tatum, I think, is definitely that number one option, as we were saying. But, man, Jason Tatum is the fucking greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to being able to do everything I mean, I, I still remember the season opener last year, the sidestep game winner on Giannis. That was, that was fucking cold. That was, like, one of the worst ways to start the season for the Bucks. But, yeah, I think Jason Tatum, I would put him top five, honestly. I would put him, honestly, probably around five. But there's no doubt in my mind that he is, he's up next. Yeah. He's definitely Team success will matter, too. Team success will matter. Mm. I mean... The only reason why I even bring have this take right now is because he, he basically carried... I mean, that whole team roster makeup was a little bit crazy to start the season, and then at some point they just figured it out and had to focus on the defensive end. But team success will matter. Their guys can grow. I mean, you have Robert Williams also, who's a really young stud at the no, center spot. I love Robert they Williams. They have a good collection of veterans. They have a culture piece like Marcus Smart. They just added Derek White, who's still a fairly young player. Um, and it's not like they can't – it's not like Boston hasn't been a free agent des- – It's free, Boston is a free agent destination. They've been able to sign players, acquire players over the years. So I think barring team success, like I think Boston can also be a top-four team next year. There's no reason to say like all the all the chips can't fall into the bag, so to speak, for Tatum to, to be that guy. 
Yeah, to add to that, I have to say this. Jason Tatum is the greatest Celtic since Larry Bird, man. Paul Pierce is great at all. KG's great at all. But I think when it's all said and done, Jason Tatum will probably be, like, the third greatest Celtic. Obviously, Bill Russell is somebody who is untouchable. Larry Legend is obviously the number two apparent. I think Jason Tatum, I think he'll slide into that number three real nice. But man, I that was that was super solid. Christian, bro, lead us home. Um, I don't know if this is a hot take because I think like there is some conversation to be made, but I think the Timberwolves will be a top five team in the West next year. Um, I just think to kind of see a progression in them finally like being in a playoff spot right now is enough to kind of I think get that conversation rolling just because we're finally starting to see like Carl Anthony Towns kind of come back in the form of like what people have expected him to be. He's playing much better defensively. He's um, playing much more aggressive in the paint. Um, like he's definitely racking in like double doubles every night. Um, and, you know, I know this because I have him on my fantasy team. He's number four in the fantasy world right now. Uh, so like, or he's number three actually. So life is good. You know? um, but I think on a real note, like to have, him like developing into the player they need him to be um to have anthony edwards still developing you know being the next michael jordan apparently to some people um going into six six you know um and then having the assets to trade away i do think like they could make a very similar run to what the bulls pretty much did this year to pretty much like because they do have delo and I don't think it would be to any surprise that D'Lo probably moves in the summer. Um, maybe not, but I think he will. Um, and then they have a ton of young players they could offload to pretty much build up like pretty much a like carbon copy of what the Bulls are now. Except obviously with different pieces. Like Cat, in my opinion, is years ahead of Vucevic, but in the same sense where they have like stars they can pick up in free agency and kind of build a like core roster like i couldn't see why they can't be a top five team right now when i look at like the players or the teams that are top five i'm not saying the suns will fall off but you know chris paul does age he is human um the jazz i doubt they're gonna do anything in the off season um and i think the timberwolves could be better than them the Mavs and the Nuggets, like the Nuggets are a team that I think are in that same conversation. So that's the one debate to be made. But then you look at the Clippers and the Lakers, and they're both in pretty shit situations, if I'm being honest, um, with aging stars and really no sense of direction. Um, and then in that same way, I don't mean to throw another take with this, but I think the Pelicans will be in a similar situation next year where they're going to be like a team that could be built into of this year's bulls um so yeah i just think like a lot of teams that are kind of around the middle table bottom table will reach the top of the table by next year um i just think there's there's a new era incoming is what i'm saying uh i will say i agree only thing is i feel like you let the core grow together because i think they have a really solid core you obviously have I think what Jokic is as a passer in terms of like the single greatest in terms of the big men, I think that's Cat with shooting. I will say though, I would love to see 
Cat develop, like, obviously it's a big if, considering, like, he's, you know, the big man. But, I mean, we see how Joel Embiid is so lethal in the fact that he's a three-level scorer. And I think I would love to see Cat kind of continue to develop, like, the mid-range game. Granted, the fact that he's, like, one of the best shooters is, you know, I'm not saying he needs it. But I think if you were to add that, I think that just gives a whole nother level of unguardability in a sense. Because, I mean, we've already seen that he already has a high release point. So it's very hard to contest his shot. Now, with D'Lo, though, I like him as their point guard because he can operate off ball, I feel. And I feel there's not really any other point guards in the market or at the level of D'Lo that you could get that I think would, you know be better than him granted you know he's he's gone a lot better defensively i will say but i just like the fact that he's developed a lot in terms of being off ball than considering when you have you know cat who's like needs the ball anthony edwards who you know tends to hog the ball here and there i like the fact that delo has grown from being this guy who's just like taking 20 30 shots sometimes to the fact where you know, if it's not his night, he's still he's still facilitating the rock. And even, like, their other guys, I mean, which, I think it's Jaden McDaniels? Yeah, yeah, Jaden McDaniels, he's one of my favorite young guys. I think he's a nice, solid, you know, really solid four. If you get some more muscle on him, I think he can definitely, like, in my opinion, I think outside of Patrick Beverly, he's one of their primary stoppers, and he's played pretty solid defense here and there. But I think the biggest thing is Patrick Beverly. Because, I mean, this is a team that has had that reputation of, like, these are young guys that, you know, don't want to listen, that don't want to, you know, get on the grind. You know, as Jimmy Butler was saying, stuff like that. But I think Patrick Beverly's, Beverly's really slipped into there and changed that culture. And you see that and how, like, how much success they've had. I mean, we've seen they have, I think it's either the most or second most 40-point, like, wins. I think as much as that is attributed to their high-power offense, I think the change on the defensive end has to be attributed to that as well. But, you know, I definitely agree. Granted, I don't know if the Suns would drop off necessarily because I think even though that... That was just an example, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think just to, you know, kind of say it for what it's saying, I mean, the Suns, are I think, are one of the deepest teams in the league right now. Granted, you know, uh, they got paid, dehydrated that bag, and if they're not willing to, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But, you know, I think, again, the West is very wide open in terms of, you know, who's going to be that next team to really take the crown. Because there's not even really a team that has the crown. I think that just speaks to how, like, fluid it is. You know, I agree. I think I would only say that I would keep D'Lo and let that core grow, though. Yeah. yeah. Rubes, what you got? It's definitely it's definitely tough for me to be like okay I think they're gonna be a top top contending team. The thing that I do like about the Wolves is like they finally grew up like that core roster. I mean it's mostly Cat, right? It's mostly Cat, and he's kind of taken the reins this season and has I think he's done it in a way that's super underrated and it hasn't gotten enough shine that he's become like one of the best big men in the league, if not like, you know, there's Jokic, Joel, Giannis, and Kat. Like that's that conversation. And like he is the best shooting big since Dirk Nowitzki. And, you know, I think looking at the trajectory too of an Anthony Edwards, of a Jalen McDaniels, 
They also have a ton of young pieces. And I do love their coach, Chris Finch, who came from the branches of Nick Nurse when he came into the league. He was assistant coach, and then they poached Chris Finch away from Toronto. I think uh, and Chris Finch has a really good background in terms of his ability to coach, his ability to develop players, create um, you know, a relationship with players, be able to get the most out of their guys from wherever he's been. He's a guy who's coached overseas. He's, he's, he's got a lot of experience coaching with different personalities. And I think that helps when you have a team with different personalities. Anthony Edwards is such an unorthodox guy. Cat is also a different guy. Patrick Beverly's a different guy. Delos come from a number of different dramatic situations. We all know about his crap with Nick Young and all that stuff. I mean, you take in some of these guys who were kind of like left off the board for for whatever reasons, and they've come together. They've they've strung five wins in a row. There's 37 and 29, and that would be in the Eastern Conference, if I'm not mistaken, a top six team. Like they're they're in that conversation. So, I mean. It's just about youth growing and giving them that chance to grow, and I think that organization has finally allowed them to, and, and like they like you said, develop a culture. So I'm liking their direction. I don't know if they would be a top five, because like I'm looking at the Western Conference right now. Who the heck would fall off? Maybe the Jazz, maybe the Mavericks. I mean, the Jazz is probably the most likely team to me, just considering everything. But again, like Donovan Mitchell is also a really young superstar who is still continuing to grow. The Mavericks have Luka Doncic, so I'll take my chances with Luka Doncic any time of the week. And then, so, I mean, I think the West next year, I mean, people were saying the things like the East is the deepest conference in the league. Yeah, that's for sure. But the West is still the strongest, and it's going to continue to show now. It's going to continue to show next year because these teams are going to grow. Like we said, the Clippers, the Pelicans, I agree with, are going to be a much better team next year when, when, if and when Zion comes back. And I also really like the direction of the Kings right now. I mean, I think even though they traded away Tyrese Halliburton, you get a full season of Sabonis. Um, they're going to have a chance to pick up some new players in the offseason. So there's, there's going to be a number of things that, you know, these franchises in the West can do. So And the Timberwolves are definitely in that conversation of budding teams like the Grizzlies that can make a contingent spot. So, yeah, it's just like the biggest thing for me is like you have to let this the young talent grow and mature, and they've allowed that, and now you're kind of just seeing that happen. Sometimes you just have to let these teams be shit and then not be shit. That's pretty much it. Yeah, shoot. These are all super solid takes, I think, you know. Makes it for some good conversations. I will say, though, y'all, I kind of dropped the ball. I, I, record, I started the recording late. Granted, we'll have the audio version complete, but if you're watching this on YouTube, I am sorry. But, you know, that just, you know, that gives you more incentive to, you know, hop onto Spotify, Google Podcasts, all of that stuff. You could hear this whole conversation. But again, I am sorry. Now, moving on, though, we got some solid talking points to talk about. I'm just going to rifle them off. You know, y'all can say your thoughts on them. First one, Katie's return. Uh, excluding the kind of, not even necessarily a stinker, because it's still a solid game by, like, regular NBA standards, but... You know, KD did kind of have a stinker in terms of his standards, but uh, excluding that game, his first two games, he was averaging 34, 5, and 6 on 52, 38, and 95 splits. So, I mean, how have y'all thought that KD's, like, made his return, considering that, in my opinion, I think he's got to go, like, past MVP levels to really carry this team out of the play-ins. But, yeah, I mean, what do y'all think? Well, it's much needed, right? They need their best player back. You know, you needed him back. Um 
<laughs> they, they were treading on deep waters at some point, right? Like, and they still kind of are. They're in the eighth seed right now, and that was a team that was fighting for the first seed about a month and a half, two months ago. So to have KD back is important, obviously, but again, you trade away James Harden and your main piece from that trade still hasn't played, so that's still the biggest conversation. And while Kevin Durant, I mean, Kyrie has, what, seven or six road games left to play, and if those mandates aren't lifted, which they said would happen on March 7th, they haven't. So really, you're hoping KD has like a, a transformative rest of the season here to carry you. But I just I see them taking the seventh spot away from Toronto, considering Toronto's injuries. They're a young team. They're kind of fighting treading water. They're treading water as well. So, um, you know, I think the highest they can reach is that seventh spot. But I think it was just a breath of fresh air for that franchise. They just needed it at the current moment, and I think it came at the right time. Yeah, I don't know if I have really much to add to that. And I, I think, like, maybe the one thing that I will add, even though it's not exactly related to KD specifically, but I do think Ben Simmons' return is going to be what really propels this team, if anything, and obviously there's no timeline on that. Um, but yeah, KD obviously has shown that he can do wonders in the league. There's no surprise to that. And having Kyrie Irving possibly play more games will also be another factor. I, I don't know if there's any update on that. I know New York was lifting mandates and uh, or possibly planning to lift mandates. Um, but I do think Ben Simmons is really the real key right now because he could definitely be the difference in terms of defense, in terms of facilitating, in terms of scoring, obviously, too. Like he's still like like a triple, like a true triple threat player on on the floor. And I, I mean, until he's back, it's hard to say where they're going to end up. KD is just going to have a lot of 40-point nights ahead of him, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I think, in my opinion, I don't want to say this season's a wash, but I don't think we'll see, well, we definitely won't see the peak of his, this team until, I think, around next year. Granted, if Ben's fully healthy, if that team's fully healthy, if they decide to give Kyrie the extension, because I think they decided to revoke it, I think, but I don't know if he's still got a year left, but... Yeah, no, I think for them to, like, securely, I think, without a shadow of a doubt, not get caught in, like, the depths of the play-in, KD's got to become Will Chamberlain right now, man. (laughs) But, yeah, shoot. Heading from there, though, talk about probably one of the hottest teams in the league to talk about right now. This team completely finessed, in my opinion. Granted, they got the best shooting guards since Kobe Bryant. It's the Sixers. I mean, they are on a current hot streak, in my opinion, excluding the game against the Heat where James Harden didn't play. With James Harden on the floor, Sixers have not lost a single game. Not only that, they've had a point differential of 10.4, which is, like, far above what the league best is right now. But, I mean, I'll get in my, my thoughts at the end, but what are, you, what are your opinions on this first little first little stretch of games with James Harden? Um, I mean, I can start. But uh, it's scary, honestly. I think like it it is one of those things that I think people are gonna have to solve because I think the real the real take or the real takeaway is that like we've never seen Joel play with this level of a player uh, up until now, and that's really unlocking a game for him. Like he's said it in a few post game interviews that he's never felt so open and he's never. I felt so able to like move around on the floor. And I think 
for, you know, an MVP contender to say stuff like that, like, and then have, you know, James Harden playing the way he is, like, it, there's no, like, probable answer for this team right now, which I think really, in hindsight, I think they're going to end up being the top team in the East. Um, and then it's going to be up to, you know, the playoffs for someone to knock them out. Um, that's just, maybe that's, I don't think it's a hot take, to be honest. The, the Heat are a good team, um, but I, the 76ers are playing on a different level right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a really technical standpoint here. <clears throat> and the reason why I like that James Harden deal with Joel is because Joel's never run with a really dominant player with the basketball that can score from three levels and create for other players. Now, a lot of people talk to me, you know, Charles Barkley makes a joke about you want the dribbler, the dribble, 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 you know, that guy. James Harden with the basketball is as good as there is anybody in the league at creating shots and opportunities for others. And that's the big reason why he won MVP that one year. Um, and now he has the best big man in the league who can also score from anywhere on the floor. And the great part about Joel is a lot of his action starts from without the ball. So you're looking at the three top plays that I've been watching a lot and is their DA shows, their dribble handoffs. Joel at the top of the key or when he has the ball in the high post does a lot for that team because he can create a lot of tension, suck in the defense, hit it out for an open shot. But what James is so good at doing is coming off of those dribble handoffs, coming off those screens, and then finding opportunities. Often when he's coming left, he can pull back for the three, and then he can make plays for everybody else. And Joel's a really good roller. And then when they run Chicago, which is basically screening the screener for shots away, flare-outs, stuff like that, they have really good shooters on that team. Tyrese Maxey's playing it at a whole other level because now he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. He's a secondary ball handler. He's a guy who moves really well without the ball. He runs in fast. He runs in transition. And Joel is also a guy who facilitates. Like There's been a lot of times this season where Joel has taken the ball off the board and brought the ball up himself. And so when your big man can do that, like we've seen with Denver and Nikola Jokic, that creates a lot of offense for everybody. And that's very difficult to stop. On the defensive end, you manage to keep Tyrese Maxey. You manage to keep Matisse Thibault. You manage to keep Danny Green. You manage to keep, obviously, Joel Embiid, who's one of the best defenders in the league. He's your back line of defense. You have really good perimeter defenders. Overall, as a team, the way that they've meshed actually makes a lot of sense. And people were talking about, well, you know, it's going to be really hard for them to have chemistry. Joel and James Harden are two of the perfect guys to place together because their styles of play basically breathe off one another. They don't take away from the guy. James has a ball and Joel sets screens. That's pretty simple. Joel can post up and James can dribble handoff. So in terms of like basketball play, those guys mesh really well, and you're seeing that. Like, There's not been a team so far that looks like that they can impose their will on either end of the floor. And so that what that's what makes them so dangerous, and that's what they've lacked for the last few years and why Philly has been so unsuccessful in all of their playoff series is because they just don't have that secondary guy outside of Joel that was able to create offense and basically create attention away from the guy. Now you have that. And Kenny Smith put it perfectly when the trade first happened. It was literally, okay, you can't double James now and you can't double Joel. There's just absolutely no way you can do any of that. 
So, and when the game becomes a half-court game in the playoffs, that's where James and Joel and that two-man action becomes even more deadly because there's no way in hell you're going to double those two guys. And they're going to garner a lot of attention on the offensive end. So, and then on the defensive end, we already know that they have very plus defenders. So, I mean, all it is, like, basically, long story short of what I'm trying to say is, is, like, it's a perfect fit. And you're seeing that right now. They're playing, they're peaking at the right time because they're playing a really high-level basketball right off the trade. Usually there's a period where they're still adjusting to each other. They literally came out of the gates freaking banging, right? And they're going to continue to do that into the playoffs. And I don't see them falling off. The only thing that I'm really concerned about with the Sixers is James Harden's hamstring injury. Because it looks like it's still a nagging thing. And they are resting him for the hamstring. So that's the only thing that I would say if health is a concern. If anybody on that team within the rotation is injured, that's a huge problem. And they instantly become... uh, What's the right term here? They're not going to be the contenders that everybody expects them to be if they even have one single injury, even to a guy like Cork or Georges Niang, because they're such important parts of their bench rotation. They're shooters that open the floor. So, yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're a tight rotation, and if anyone out of those players, you know, find themselves on the injury, they're going to have trouble. So that's one thing I would watch with them. But not surprised with how hot they've been playing with James Harden. I'm just going to say it. I think when everything is said and done, if the if Harden stays with the Sixers for the rest of his career and rides into the sunset with Philly, I think there's an argument that him and Joel, you know, if they had... Okay, my main thing is that I think if we take them at the beginnings of the career and let that be, you know, the team, I think they're a better duo, better, like, overall duo than Carl Malone and John Stockton. Because, I mean, you know, those are two of the greatest. Granted, fuck Carl Malone, he a little bitch. But I think that with John Stockton, you know, obviously he's one of the greatest facilitators. He has the most assists and steals in NBA history. I'm not saying that, you know... Actually, I am saying that. Fuck it, man. I think they'd be a better duo just because of the fact that that pick-and-roll is unguardable, considering, yeah, just like Kenny said, it's impossible to double-team them because, you know... I think the main thing, though, that would really hamper them, I think, is for Tobias Harrow to really carve out his role. Because we've known him to be a very streaky person. He can have 20 one night and then, you know, eight points the other night. I think their main way of success outside of Tobias Harris would also be... I think Matisse Stiebel is probably the biggest X factor considering that he's their starter. But he also doesn't give you that much on the offensive end. Granted, you don't really need that from him because he is your premier defender. But I think even if you were to average, because I mean he averages what? Probably about like, I want to say six points. Let me fact check that though. Yeah, no, he averages 5.8 points. I think if you bump that up to eight, even 10, I think that just eases, it off, eases us off the pressure a lot more off of like your two guys. And I mean, this team I think is built to really be successful in the playoffs I mean James Harden we've seen is one of the best passers right now Joel Embiid is in the MVP conversations and he's looking unstoppable right now I agree though they're peaking at the right time everything I think is coming up Philly right now but I think the biggest wild card is definitely James Harden's hamstring Tobias Harris 
and Matisse Thibault and uh, Doc Rivers in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I want to counter your point really quickly about Tobias. I don't think it's that. I don't think he's that important as we all thought. I don't think he's that crucial. He just has to be a threat on the floor. I think what we've seen carve out happen is Tyrese Maxey become that third option, and he's become a consistent third option for them. And if Tobias is at the very least a threat on the perimeter and can defend at an average level and uh, rebound at an average level, I think that's all you need from him. Because what Tobias brings is just a level of attention on the perimeter. And Thibel will do what he does is hustle stats and defend the best player. So those two guys, I think, are those blue-collar mesh guys. And I think, well, we all expected, okay, this trade would happen. Tobias has to figure out his way to be the third option. Is he going to be consistent? I think what's happened here is a complete 180 and Tyrese Maxey who we all thought would be, okay, he's just going to be the nice young piece that fits. He's basically become their X factor. Like, I think Tyrese Maxey is super important to what they do. And the way he plays off of James Harden, I think has also been the biggest takeaway from that trade because I feel like his growth has accelerated even more because now he has to find his offense different ways. Now he has to be consistent when he has the ball in his hands. And now he becomes the main guy defending the, the, the other team's best perimeter guard or best guard. So I think uh, Tobias obviously is important. And if he's crap, then it's obviously going to hamper them. But I think that the onus is basically on Maxi being um, as good as he is now in the playoffs, just considering the way that they've been running an offense through him with him, regardless, besides James and Joel. You are 100% right. Yeah, no, I think the main thing, I think, is just the fact that Tobias Harris will always, I think, be held to a higher standard just because he's on that contract. But no, I agree. Tyrese Maxey is undoubtedly their third option. But shoot, heading from there, though, from a team that's very hot, let's talk about some teams that are cold. Granted, Golden State won today, so this doesn't really apply to them as much. But prior to that win, I mean, two of the top teams, Chicago and Golden State, have really been on a struggle. Uh, Chicago's still on their losing streak at five straight. Obviously, as I said earlier, Golden State obliterated the Clippers today and ended their five-game losing streak. But, man, shoot, how are y'all, how are y'all feeling about this? Because, I mean, well, I guess since Christian said he's, you know, he's a Golden State fan as well. Granted, it's not because, you know, Van Wagoner. But, I mean, let's say, let's say Christian, bro, what do you think about this with their, like, these teams' recent struggles? Um, I think like for the Warriors, I think it's a cool thing for them, or like at least I mean it's pretty casual. Um, just because they are, if I'm not wrong, still missing Draymond. Um, and he is like by so many like definitions, like one of the most key players on that team. Like he is more key than Clay for sure. He in many ways, like, plays as much of an influential role in, like, a lot of different departments as Steph. Um, like, he is, like, I mean, give, granted that he's been out for a bit, he he was, like, the kind of um, chalked-in defensive player of the year at one point, for sure, um, and still is contending for it, undoubtedly. And he also, like, is, like, like always, like, flirting with a triple-double. Um he is like a 
like one of the bigger facilitators on that team. Like as much as Steph obviously is Steph, like um Draymond takes away that pressure a lot. And so having someone like Otto Porter Jr. fill in that space, I think is what's kind of like their Achilles heel right now. Um just because Draymond isn't isn't a replaceable player for them. Um and, you know, as long as he does come back at some point um before the playoffs and they are kind of primed with him, I don't see a problem for them. For the I, I think honestly too, like if I'm being completely honest, this is kind of my same take with the Chicago Bulls, is that they've obviously shown that, you know, with a healthy roster, they are still like one of the best teams in the East. I mean, I, w- I probably would have said the best team in the East before that uh, Nets and uh, 76ers trade, but I'm going to hold off on that take now. Um, but I definitely think like they play at that caliber that the 76 76ers are playing at when they're healthy. Um, just because of the depth of that team, like the kind of roles and um, styles that they have with like people like Lonzo and Caruso kind of being like the backbone of the defense. And then I mean, obviously, Vooch be Vooch and DeRozan playing, you know, ha, I can't, it's hard to make these takes that I had last, last week saying, you know, that he was like a top three um, MVP discussion. And I still believe it in a lot of ways, but man, these the Seventy Sixers have really been turning up lately, and it's the MVP race. I think is starting to close in. But regardless, I just think that the Bulls, when they are healthy, are as good as the Seventy Sixers and any team that you. So I'm not worried about the teams. I just think it's going to land on a lot of circumstantial things, and that really is just health. Um, I, I I'm not really concerned about the losing streaks, though. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would pretty much agree with Christian. There's nothing much to add in terms of health for both teams is obviously a hampering issue why they're struggling. But I will say that there's more cons for the Bulls considering they're half a game back. I mean, the Cavaliers are only a game back of the fourth, and the Raptors are only three and a half games from the Bulls. Um, sorry, three and a half games from the Cavaliers for the plans for the sixth spot. So if the Bulls continue this losing streak or if they continue down a negative path in terms of their record, they could find themselves in the play-in, right? So, I mean, and there's only, what, there's about, from today, I think there's 15, 14 to 16 games left on the schedule. I haven't calculated correctly for the Bulls' record, but they could very much fall into a play-in uh, spot, which is not what they envisioned when they finished, like, near when they were at top of the conference just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So that's a huge issue for them. Um, for the Warriors, I think we all know how important Draymond is, like you mentioned, Christian, so I won't touch on that. But I think the positive coming out of this is the fact that their guys, Kaminga and Moody, are getting really significant run. And that is huge for their development. That's huge. So when you can be a, a championship contender and your best players are sitting out and your young players are stepping in, and, and Kaminga had a great day today, Moses Moody had a great day the other one, uh, the game the other night that's really important for your internal um, development because at least now you have two more guys that you can throw into the rotation that can be relied upon to perform um, and and uh, you know obviously produce so that's huge that's huge that's the biggest takeaway and and it's not like the Golden State Warriors are any less of a championship contender now I mean they're getting Draymond back on Monday 
I mean, they're still one of the fa- they're still a favorite to win the title, or at least in the, one of the favorites. And then you basically say, "Oh hell, like two of our lottery picks, Kaminga and Moses Moody, are also reliable NBA players in the rookie seasons." That's 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 really that's you can come away with some really good positives for the Warriors here. So I mean, I I don't see them continuing the losing skid when Draymond's back on Monday, and um. Like, overall, it's also good for a franchise that your two young players are showing out when they're getting the opportunity. So, and for me, the Warriors, I'm not really that worried about them. For the Bulls, I am considering, like, how close they can actually be to being in the play-in. And and they're also without Caruso and Lonzo Ball for a significant period of time. So, uh, yeah. Bulls, I'll watch out for. Golden State, I'm not too worried about, considering the points we just raised. And they still got Jordan Poole. It's a pool party every day. Yeah, no, I think those are all valid points. I will say, though, for the Bulls, I think you also kind of give that youthful run in the sense that, I mean, in my opinion, Ayodosumu is the steal of the draft this year. I think he's undoubtedly one of the best players in, in like, no, I was about to say, look, he's un- undoubtedly one of the best players in the league. I would say he's the best, like, defender in terms of the guard position, you know, because Evan Mobley is, I mean, the last guy we thought would make an all-NBA selection as a rookie was uh, Tim Duncan. That's his own thing, which we'll talk about next. But, yeah, I think as alarming as the situation is, I think the biggest positive is the fact that you get run for a guy like Ayo Dosumu. I mean, he's had, I think it's like a 15 or 18 assist game this season. I mean, you don't ever really expect that from a rookie. You know, you expect, you know, solid minutes here and there. But I think really stepping into that point guard role, granted that they're down their two, like, primary point guards, I think is good in the sense that when it comes playoff time, when those guys are, like, are, you know, still dealing with their injury in a sense or just the fact that they need a fresh set of legs or another, like, another person to give teams a different look, I think with these struggles comes the flowers that Ayodosumu, I think, will be more poised for playoff basketball. Granted, he's already been in those situations, playing at Illinois and being, you know, in those top teams for so long. So, yeah, I mean, as much as it sucks to lose, I think the fact that all these young guys are getting their playing time is real nice. But, all right, last thing. What does the Jared Allen injury mean for the Cavs? I think it's the same situation of the Bulls, as I mentioned. Like, they're only, what, the Raptors are three and a half games back of the Cavaliers. Um, Even though they've won two. um, Here's what I liken Jared Allen to. He is what Rudy Gobert is to the Utah Jazz. Right? He is one of the best role men in the league in the pick and roll. He's a threat on the on the boards. He can finish around the rim, and obviously he controls and dominates and anchors that back end of the line uh, defensively. And we're going to truly see how impactful of a defender Evan Mobley is when they know they're when he when they know that the back line of defense is just Evan Mobley and not Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And I think a lot of the defensive flowers that Evan Mobley's gotten, I think has been overrated to some sense, considering the fact that he is playing alongside Jared Allen. So, I mean, that's one point I want to raise regarding that. So that injury can be, will be a really big 
um, uh, will be impactful to that team uh, in terms negative wise. But it's also in the same sense that Evan Moby's going to get time. Like, and it's not like the Cavaliers lack any depth in terms of front court. I mean, they have Dean Wade, who's been playing really well. Kevin Love is in the conversation for sixth man of the year. He's playing underrated basketball right now. And I think he's only playing like 18 to 22 minutes, but he's producing. Like hell, like the he's playing incredibly well. They still have Laurie Markinen and obviously Evan Mobley, like we mentioned, who I think is going to end up winning Rookie of the Year as much as I want to give it to Scotty Barnes. Um, so yeah, I think that there's there's a huge impact in terms of how the team is going to perform. But if I'm the Cavs, I'll take that as a huge win because at least now Evan Mobley is going to get a lot more time to develop, and he's going to be put in a lot more uncomfortable positions where. Jared Allen was saving his ass, right? And and in terms of the back line of defense. So he's got to anchor that now. So I think that's really good development time for him. But if you're looking at the playoff conversation, like even though the Raptors have lost three straight, they're literally only three and a half behind the Cavaliers. So um, it's – it's and, and obviously the Brooklyn Nets just won tonight. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's still going to be a battle for that playoff spot. And they could also very well be in a play-in play uh, position. Yeah, I think they honestly will end up in a play-in position. Um, regardless of their depth, I think if it's not the Nets, the Raptors are still obviously showing a lot of like promising hope. And in terms of health, like I do think, I mean, I, I don't keep up with the Raptors that much these days, but considering Sexton and um, both uh, Jared Allen are both out now, um, I do think like the adjustment is going to be pretty major to their team. And um, as Ruben kind of mentioned, I don't think Evan Mobley is going to be able to anchor the ship because, you know, their whole style of play is really based off of like the three towers. And, you know, when you take down one of the pretty much the main tower, arguably, um, I, I do think there's going to be a hole to be filled. And I don't think they have, you know, exactly what it takes to like kind of hold on to their spot when you look at who's behind them they're obviously going to still contend pretty well and i think even if they end up in the plan they'll probably be the team to come out of the plan but um given that he's out indefinitely for now jared allen um i do think this season might be chalk for them but that being said i think they're still one of the better teams in the east uh, undoubtedly yeah i mean i think you all raise very valid points i think the only thing i want to add is that i think if they're able to secure the sixth spot and be in a playoff position i think that secures the rookie of the year as well in my opinion because i think you know scotty definitely had the first i think the early start i think he's had the more flashiness in the fact that he can play point but yeah, I think this is really going to be Evan Mobley's like make it or break it chance. Cuz I mean, today he had a solid game. I mean, what, 22-12 and 3 with five steals, a block, and I think he had four block assists as well. And yeah, I I do agree with Ruben that I think some of the defensive prowess is overrated in the sense that it's a lot like how Tim Duncan played behind David Robinson. So, I think with that though, that really throws him into the fire, and we've seen how he's been able to like rise up to the occasion. Now, I'm not saying he's gonna clap like the two sixties and the like 
the fucking 300-pound big men pounding at him. But, yeah, I think the fact that he's the primary big man now, if they're able to stay afloat in the playoff race and not drop to the play-in, I think that secures the Rookie of the Year board for him. But, from these topics, let's get into the bread and butter, the cream of the crop of this podcast. We got the Blacktop Showdown. Now, Christian, pick a number one to four. One. One. Okay, your first player, Will Barden. Ruben. Uh, two to four. Three. Three. You got Devontae Graham. Ooh, okay. Okay. All right. We will have Christian go first. But let me just share this timer thing. All right. Christian, you good to go? You got you got the basketball reference out? Sorry, I'm not speaking because I'm trying to do some reading really quick. <laughs> but yeah, we got, we got, I think, two polar opposites in my opinion. We got one of the savvy vets in Will Barden. Granted, Devontae Graham's not like young, young, but he is on the younger side. And this is a guy that, was in MIP conversations the other year. Actually, I'll stop talking because I don't want to take away any potential Ruben's points. But I think this is going to make for a good matchup. Christian, you good to go? Yes. Okay. Christian for Will Barden in three, two, one, go. All right. So if I'm being honest, like we've we've done this a few times now and um, we've obviously seen or brought up in conversation that height is a big thing. I had to search out Devonta Graham's height. It's a 6-6 versus 6-1 fight. Um, that being said, it's not even, doesn't even come down to that. But Will Barden, um, like even with his height and stature, um, is like an offensive threat. Um, and he's not even the first option. He's had two 30-point games and multiple 20-point games this season. Um, and obviously that's with, you know, shouldering the burden of Jamal Murray out. Even with that being said, he obviously hasn't been the main option all year round, and they've been testing other players, and he hasn't even been healthy. Um, so I think in a really a ISO situation or a blacktop situation, like I don't think a six-one guard that is you know assist heavy and a really bad perimeter shooter is going to take on like a prime Will Barton. Hey, Ruben for Devontae Graham in three, two, one, go. Yeah, Will Barton's a solid athlete who can who can score the ball a little bit, but is also a very negative defensively. And so while size plays a part, size can definitely get negated when you have the ability to score from three places. When you're a three-level scorer that can shoot the ball, attack the rim, create off the dribble, which is exactly what Devontae Graham does. He is a really solid one-on-one isolation player. He was in the conversations for most improved player of the year. He's dropped 40 points in the game before. I mean, it's not like this guy hasn't been in those big situations before, at least in terms of basketball games and being able to score with the ball in his hand. So if you're giving him possession, he has the ability to score from anywhere on the floor. And when you face a guy that you know is a negative defensively, oftentimes you have the confidence and the ability to get wherever you want to and score the basketball. And so that's what one-on-one blacktop showdown is all about. Alrighty, let me set this up real quick. All right, Christian, your rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. 
So I think kind of calling him out for being a negative defender is a bit of a stretch. I wouldn't say he's all that bad considering he's had multiple seasons where he's almost pretty much average a steal game um, with a few seasons that he has. Um, and that's obviously being like a third option, not guarding the best player most time, most times than not. Um, and I think that says a lot already on its own that he's not really that negative of a defender. Um, so I think Ruben's argument is pretty much uh, invalid there. Right, with the wave off, okay. All right, Ruben, your rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Devontae Graham also averages steal a game. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like he's a negative defender either. And, um, you know, and he doesn't guard the best players either. So I think also part of that conversation is a little bit of a... A little bit of a wash, too, you know. I think these guys, in terms of defensively, size, I don't know if really would play a part. Will Barton is a really good athlete who's played off of really great players, while Devontae Graham is a guy with the ball in his hands and score from anywhere and get buckets. Alrighty, I think you all raise very valid arguments. If I had to give it to someone, though, I'd have to give it to Ruben. I think just off the fact that I think Christian, you really leaned into just the fact that he was bigger. And you didn't really speak much on his like offensive game. Granted, I I do think actually no, not granted. Yeah, I think I think the only hole I would say with Rubens is that he pointed that you know if he has possession, which I think already kind of gives an asterisk in a sense. But I just think the fact that Ruben was kind of bringing up both facets of his game and kind of saying how. You know, Devontae Graham's a hooper. I got to give it to Ruben there. Sorry, Cuzzo. All right. All righty. Ruben, would you like to switch out with a, with a six-man here? Uh, You're, I know the, yeah, do I get to know the options? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know the options, and then if you want to, we'll we'll spin for it. Okay. So your potential replacements are either Malik Beasley or Dennis Schroeder. Ooh, okay, you know what? Okay, let's try. Let's spin them. Let's see if I can get a different player. Okay. All right. We will say one is Malik Beasley. Two is Dennis Schroeder. All right, Malik Beasley. Let me bring up Dennis Schroeder here. Okay, let me set up my minute here. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, I guess me or Dennis Schroeder in three, two, one, go. Now, when it comes to having a nickname like Dennis the Menace, you know he's a dog. Dennis Schroeder is a guy that he fumbled the bag, but the best part is that he laughed at him with himself. Granted, this is a guy that's been in six man of the year conversations, he can create at three levels. I think he's really good when it comes to like hanging around the hoop. When it comes to, you know, finishing at the hoop as a, as with the layups, and the fact that I think he comes off the bench is just more firepower to the fact that he's a hooper. Because you know, this is a guy that you don't need to give him the the twenty eight twenty seven minutes a game. He can come off whenever and start hooping. And when it comes to that, he's averaged about almost twenty points off the bench when it came to Atlanta. And this is a guy that, you know. Super duper solid. He was somebody that was brought in to potentially be that guy with the Lakers. Didn't happen. But Dennis Schroeder is a certified hooper. And is the best German 
says Dirk Nowitzki. I rubes. In three, two, one, go. So Dennis Schroeder, I don't know if he's a third-level scorer. I think he's a really good playmaker. He's a really good off-ball secondary guard. I don't know if he's the offensive threat that you might put him out to be, considering the fact that last year, when he was given the opportunity to be the lead guard or play off of great players and be the playmaker that they needed on the offensive end, he wasn't able to be that. We also saw that so far with the Boston Celtics. And, you know, that's considering he's playing with some really great talent around him. In a one-on-one situation, granted, he's a solid defender, but Malik Beasley is also a solid defender. If you're looking at his overall defensive percentage, it's over 0.7. So he's a positive defender. Obviously, he's a 6'4", 6'5", point guard, shooting guard, who can score from all three levels because he is a 38% shooter. Um, He can attack the rim. He's also a very good athlete. So in a one-on-one... Hey y'all, it's DJ. So unfortunately, a bit of this recording got cut off. However, it is in the video version. So if you're if you're burning to hear Ruben's argument about Malik Beasley, head over to the YouTube channel. You can find that uh, youtube.com slash not really slash, but if you look up the Blacktop Podcast, you'll find it there. Again, sorry about that. Now let's get back, right back to it. We're back. <clears throat> hey Ruben, your rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. So if we're talking about technical standpoint, checking it up top, let's look at the defensive percentage here. So from greater than 15 feet or at the three-point, that's often where possession will start. Malik Beasley has a defensive field goal percentage of 34.3% greater than 15 15 feet and 34.8% from three. So already when he is defending the perimeter position where the game starts, he's going to have the game up. On the offensive end, he's got size and offensive ability to go anywhere he wants. Hi, Christian. Who you got? All right. This is tough because this is how I saw it and heard it very clearly with my ears. Ruben had a very bad start talking about Dennis Schroeder for half, like more than half his time. And he only touched on Malik Beasley very shortly. But then DJ had a very bad ending really giving no true facts about Dennis Schroeder, just calling him a dog and a German player. And, like, Ruben pretty much pulled out these advanced stats out of his ass because we stopped recording for a second. So I'm, I'm at a standstill here because I'm trying to decide who ended up winning the argument. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to give the DJ... I just think, like, Ruben really dropped the ball because he, he complimented Dennis Schroeder a few times in that 30 seconds and um, some takes here and there were, like, a little controversial. And DJ, I would say, you know, if you really want to win the argument, just, you know, keep looking at stats. But I gave negatives because I was talking about how shit of a playmaker he was with the Lakers and the Celtics. Hey, what Only- is the playmaking when it comes to the blacktop, baby? Yeah. Assist stats to me are like, yeah, that was one of the things I remember hearing too, is just like, assists do matter, just like not right now. If this was a two-on-two blacktop, that would be a different... That's what I'm saying. Like, he 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 was given the option to be uh, an offensive creator for those teams when they needed him. 
and he wasn't able to he wasn't able to capitalize on his opportunity. I got to say it's a controversial W for DJ. Like both of you guys kind of tucked ass at debating hey, at some point. Hey, that, that was my first W. I'll listen, take it. Hey, it's it's honestly hard arguing for Malik Beasley, okay? Like that's I should have just I, stayed with Devontae Green. I'm not gonna lie, I was hoping you would have brought up the fact that he can jump. I did, I, I said he's a good athlete. Did you? Yeah. Oh, you, you should have just said he could have just fucking he would have had his nuts hanging on dead short of shit. If he said that, I think that would have won. Oh yeah, for sure. If I, if <laughs> but I, I with that, though, Ruben, it's okay. You get first pick of this next one. One to four. Uh, three. Three? Miles Turner. Oh, yeah, I like that. All right, Christian. One to yeah. four. Miles Turner, um, channel favorite. One to what? One to four, just not three. Okay. Uh, I'll choose four. Ooh. Zion Williamson. Those guys aren't even on the same this, tier. All this right, is, this is the tier where it's <laughs> no. What the? <laughs> <laughs> Dang, y'all are the ones that need back shots, man. Okay, <laughs> Ruben for Miles Turner. In three, two, one, go. Is there anything to be said about Miles Turner? Defensive anchor. Versatile defender, mobile on his feet, 6'10", can shoot from three, underrated ability to handle the ball, and post up. He's got game anywhere on the floor. You give him the ball, he can create. He's got the size advantage over his high on Williamson, who's only a 6'7 power forward and 7,000 pounds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you get Miles Turner the basketball, who's also very mobile, can stay in front of any athlete, and we've seen him. He's had some awesome dunks. He's had some great finishes, some great blocks, and he's also the perfect defender to put on any team because of his ability to be switchable. So regardless of the offensive player that he's facing, whether it be Zion Williamson, he's got the strength and the defensive IQ, the mobility to keep up with a guy like that, and on the offensive end, he can give him buckets from anywhere on the floor. Bang. We got to go in on sound like that, but I Christian <laughs> for Zion Williamson in three, two, one, go. All right, so we have to remember in the Blacktop Showdown that essentially we are looking at players at their best, and so Zion Williamson, although seven thousand pounds right now in his prime, is two hundred eighty-four pounds, and at six six, to compare to a six ten player who isn't known for playing in the paint, I don't think there is an argument to be made there. Um, in terms of Zion being like the player he is in his prime, um, he was sixth in field goal percentage in his prime year. He was also um, eighth or sorry, sixth in field goals and then eighth in field goal percentage. And that was in his second year of the NBA. Um, that being said, he's had multiple 30 point games and he obviously is a plus defender. Um, he has, you know, enormous hops. We've seen it in like multiple games both college and nba and i think there's like no range of athleticism that miles turner could have to defend what zion williamson all righty he is at seven thousand pounds <laughs> rebuttal three two one go the argument for zion williamson is as a finisher is really good 
But again, you start position out at the top, and Miles Turner is a very mobile defender with length to guard anywhere on the floor. When it comes to the paint, we all know Miles Turner is a really well-known shot blocker and ability to protect the paint and to protect the rim. So I like his chances on the defensive end. Excuse the train in the background. On the offensive end, he's also a very good perimeter player. So while he's not a post player, possession starts up top. Alrighty. With the train distraction as well. But I didn't phase the man. Christian, the rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. Um, I, I just got to say, like, if we're talking about, you know, starting at top with all these circumstantial opinions that Ruben loves to throw, you might as well throw in the fact that Zion can shoot threes too. He is a true 33.3% shooter in his career. And although that's not like all time great, he is still agile in terms of scoring on a three level basis. He, his true rebounding stance are at seven with 3.2 assists if that matters too. But truly he is a player that can beat Miles Turner. Miles Turner's ass. <laughs> Miles Turner's doo-doo doggy shit. Miles Turner is a championship piece to any team. <laughs> Why the fuck is he still on the Pacers? <laughs> Miles Turner's stuck on the Pacers. Miles Turner, is, Miles Turner is in, in mediocrity. Miles Turner's in the trenches. <laughs> I will say. Backshots, backshots. For that, I think you all raise very valid points. I, I will say, though, Chris, I mean, he can, he can shoot threes, but Christian, you were a little loose with that. Saying that. that is the, the three-level score. That I don't know, but I think he can... You know, he can stretch if need be. I mean, do you remember that but, one? Was it his premier game where he hit, like, four threes in a row? This dude still has has a shot. Like, let's not forget that. Yeah, but, you know, when it comes to the three levels, I, I had never seen Zion take a shot off the dribble. It don't I mean, matter. <laughs> he does all his players <laughs> had some step-back jumpers this year, so. We haven't seen the dude play in a while, so, you know. That's, it's all that's true, dude. You talking about who hasn't played in the world? Fucking Zion Williamson. <laughs> well, they both have. Is is Miles Turner playing right now, or is he still like kind of dealing with his toe? They're both injured. One one is one is a twig, and one is seven million pounds. One I could lift with a finger. One is heavier than the Titanic. Jeez, I uh, I I think I gotta go with Miles Turner though. No way, bro. No, no. I, I got to give it to Rubes there because I, I think the the one thing I would have loved to talk about, Christian, is the fact that he, you know, he averaged 27 with a lot of that being in the post. And granted that he is that's a smaller man, a lot of that work was done, I think, against like, you know, considering that he does primarily play the four. These are guys who are like six, nine and above. Would have loved to see you touch on that. But, yeah, no, I got to give it to Rubes here. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I, I know we're just, like, have a single judge, but I definitely mentioned a lot of his pain play. Uh, and I've mentioned that at his size and Miles Turner's size, he would be better in the paint. I definitely mentioned that. I didn't need to, I don't think it needs to be, like, implied more that, like, he would eat him up in the paint. But you know what? If, I, I, I will say, if, if you said, if you reiterated that, instead of calling him a three-level scorer when he's not. 
I mean, if I'm being completely honest, Ruben just mentioned Miles Turner's three point shooting. Like he's fucking cat. He's he's good, but this dude's like had like five point games like in numerous succession during this season. I mean, he's averaging thirty five percent. I mean, it's also like he he's not even the number one option on the team. So, well, I mean, Zion's career three point percentage is thirty three point three percent. That's one point seven percent difference. But you have to look at Zion. He's a he's a player that gets assisted on a lot of his baskets. I mean, that, that's that's, <laughs> a, that's an arguable like that's an arguable like every player kind of gets assisted on their baskets. That's that's uh that's okay. Anyways, whatever. You know what? If you want to give Ruben that one, you can. But I definitely mentioned some of the points that you were arguing for. And Ruben talked all about three point shooting like he's fucking Steph Curry. So you know what? Big man at thirty five percent for his career. Damn, I want to. at thirty three point three percent. I mentioned that. Yeah, but he starts in the perimeter. I'm fucking <laughs> Zion starts in the perimeter on the blacktop too. We kind of fucking. <laughs> Every time Ruben argues, it's like, oh man, if he starts with possession, it's over. <laughs> like fucking, <laughs> fucking Zion can start. And hit a 3-2, man. Anyways, let's just get to the next one. Get this shit out of my face. <laughs> Some bullshit opinions going around here. Throwing around what ifs like Zion wouldn't lose to fucking Miles Turner. <laughs> Ruben, your potential switches are Christian Wood and Julius Randle. Do, do, do you want to oh, switch? Yeah, give me no, Miles Turner is better yeah, than both of those guys. Get Miles Turner out of here, fam. <laughs> Nah, man, Miles Turner is years ahead of those foes. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you why. He's average a career shooter, 35% from three. If he starts with possession, it's bang, it's over. <laughs> well, one is Christian Wood, two is Julius Randle. Give me, give me number one, please. Oh, you got Julius Randle. Uh, all right, whatever. All right. I will argue for Christian Wood. Alright, I will start. Oh wait, let me bring this. Let me start this. Boom, boom. Okay. Christian Wood. Three, two, one. Now, Christian Wood is the definition of a dog. This is a dude whose fucking girlfriend left him when he went undrafted, and he's grown into one of the premier centers in this league. He's a walking 20 and 10 a night. He is a career 37.5% from three. And he's doing it on a crappy Rockets team. Granted, you know, there is a bit of an attitude issue, but that's just because the man wants to win. There's nothing you need more in the blacktop than a man who wants to win. You know, Julius Randle's is cool and all, but he's been a fucking bum this year. If he starts with possession, Christian Wood is 6'10". Julius Randle a little undersized. You know, I granted he's maybe 6'9", 6'8", but Christian Wood is a dude that can stretch the floor, bang around in the paint if need be, and just the fact that, again, this dude's a dog. He made it out the trenches to from fucking undrafted. I will say I wish he was still a buck, but, you know, this dude has blossomed into one of the premier centers in the league. Top 10, in my opinion. Rubes for Julius Randle. Three, two, one, go. If you're talking about a down year, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 5.2 assists, is a down year, give it to me. The dude is also... A 20 and 10, a proven NBA All-Star. If I'm not mistaken, he was an all-NBA player last year with the Knicks. 
I mean, the dude is a bucket getter. He's also big. He's also 6'8 and 6'9. He's got the mass, and he's also a very good defensive player when he wants to play defense. So on a blacktop showdown where you're going one-on-one and you have no choice but to play defense, he can play defense. I mean, he's playing in Tom Thibodeau's system. That's what he did last year, and that's why the Knicks were one of the best defensive teams in the league last year when he was their back line and he was their number one option offensively. Julius Randle is a real three-level scorer. A lot of his offense comes from the mid-range, but he can shoot the three, he can create, and also he's a very good paint scorer. So on both ends, he's dominant. Alrighty, my rebuttal. In three, two, one. Now, when it comes to defense, Julius Randle, you know, he's I. But I think the fact that there's been multiple games where Tom Thibodeau has chose to go with his bench instead of his starters, I think is really telling of the fact that when it comes down to it, Julius Randle don't want no smoke with Christian Wood. Christian Wood, there was one year, he had an offensive rating of 123 and a defensive rating of 110. That is insane. This is a dude who has been in the gutter and has really risen out of it and amassed many flowers, and he'll be the centerpiece of this new Rockets team once they're in the playoffs. All right, Rubes. Rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. All right, so I'm going to share with you some advanced stats again. Overall, he allows people to score 46% on the field from him. He allows people for two-pointers, 52% defensive field goal percentage. 60% 60% field goal percentage from less than 6 feet, 58 from less than 10 feet. Those are the places where Julius Randle likes to operate, so he's going to dominate him on that position. He's also got a 0% difference, uh, difference percentage, so he's going to have a hard time guarding Julius Randle. All right, Chin. Who you got? I think I'm giving that one to Ruben. Man, this guy, this guy's got a debate in him. I must say, we're going to need to bring someone on to debate with this guy. And R- Ruben's the master debater, bro. Master baiter. Master. You know, I'm not going to lie. I think the best the best video from this year in terms of the NBA is that one where it's like, play the air guitar. You guys see that one? <laughs> yeah, I said that one. <laughs> oh, she's... Yeah. Bro, that's my favorite shit. All right, Christian. One to four. Me one. One. Russell Westbrook. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Two to four, Rubes. Oh, three? Ooh, this is our first, like, non-active player. The glove, Gary Payton. Again, th- these are our players at their, like, at their peak. So we're not talking no bum-ass 2021-2022 Russell Westbrook. We're talking... 2020 game for Nipsey Hustle, Russell Westbrook, if you want. But I. Christian for Russell Westbrook. In three, two, one, go. All right. Well, if we are really going back into the times, let's remember that Russell Westbrook is a two time MVP. Um, I believe both of those, or if not both, at least one was on a triple double year. Um, that being said, in his prime, Russell Westbrook has been a pretty decent player. And I, in my opinion, he is a three-level like three level scorer. Um, I mean, in most ways than not, he obviously won't be as reliant, but that's not a debatable fact. Like, this guy is, like, one of the, I think, the most athletic player of all time, let's be honest. 
Um, he definitely is a plus defender. His average close to two steals in multiple um, seasons. And, you know, obviously, given that Jerry, Jerry Payton, in most senses, wasn't as def- offensively agile, I just don't see a situation where he can beat Russell Westbrook on the floor offensively or defensively. It looks like Ruben's ready. Okay, Rube, three, two, one, go. Gary Payton, let's do a quick hit here. Defensive player of the year, steals leader, all-NBA first team twice, all-NBA second team five times, all-NBA third team twice, all-defensive first team nine times, all-rookie team, NBA champion as well, and nine-time NBA all-star. You're talking about a guy who's averaged 24 points in one of his best seasons, one of the best defenders in the league, and while people say athleticism for Russell Westbrook, oh, he's got the ability to jump out the gym, Gary Payton was one of the most mobile players in the NBA and at the time was one of the most athletic. And don't forget the fact that the dude is also 6'4". He played with greats like Sean Kemp. He had the ability to defend guys like Michael Jordan, and he was a primary defender on the GOAT. So when you're defending the GOAT, you best believe an inefficient player like Russell Westbrook who can't shoot the ball from three, is going to have a lot of trouble against a guy like Gary Payton. Talk about a man who gives out back shots. Sean Kemp's like top five all time, man. (laughs) All right, Christian, your rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. We're talking about all these accolades, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I I do think, um, you know, stats-wise, we really need to look at these players. You know, Russell Westbrook, you know, 24 points in one season. Great. Gary Payton, you know, Russell Westbrook does that on a nightly basis still to this day. And, you know, as a three point shooter, he's obviously like not going to be as agile, but I don't think that argument can be made on the blacktop where Gary Payton is not going to be a three point shooter as a nineties player. Rube, three, two, one, go. Best three point shooting season he had was 33%, which is the league average. So the guy can shoot from the field, he can shoot from the perimeter, and he can defend those best players. Counting stats don't matter in this position because he's if he's rebounding, it's off his own shot, and he's not getting any assists. Gary Payton is one of the all-time greats on both ends, and there's a reason he's also an NBA Hall of Famer. The dude can do everything on the court on both ends, and there's not much Russell Westbrook can do on any given night. All right, before, DJ, you make your you know, your argument, and I'm not trying to make a counter-argument, but just remember we were debating that Zion couldn't shoot threes, and this guy said a league average of 30, like literally around the same number. So, you know, I know I'm going off the clock here, but... Russell Russell Westbrook can't shoot either, so it kind of negates the argument. I mean, in his best best season, he shot 34%. It's, It's like... It's pretty much the same argument. This is why they, they negate each other. So it's that's we got to look at the other factors. Yeah, I mean, okay, we'll look at the other factors. Two time MVP and all these useless awards that Gary Payton. First of all, he, he's only one time MVP, two time All Star MVP. But Wait. yeah, you yeah you look at All Star MVPs. I think, but I, I will say uh, I got to give this I got to give this one to Christian. I think the thing that won it for him was when he said that he was the, like, on 90s players. And I think, you know, as as Gilbert Arenas said, these guys think their shit don't stink. Granted, I don't think Gary Payton is one of those players that would not not be successful in this year, in, like, this generation. 
But I think when Christian he, mentions the athleticism, he was huh? a primary defender on Michael Jordan, and he was one of the most impactful defenders on Michael Jordan during his career. Hey, hey, that, that that's MJ. That's that's one in a million. MJ still beat him. Gary Payton has a chip, man. <clears throat> hey, Russell Westbrook, he go in. Uh, I don't know about no chip, but <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, like Russell Westbrook just has had the worst like luck in his career. Like this dude ended up on the Wizards. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, this guy's this guy's luck at a chip has been washed for a while. I don't know if that's been washed. I think it's that. I, I think Russell Westbrook is probably outside of his three point shooting is probably one of the perfect blacktop players. Just based off the fact that he a dog. Uh, this this dude literally looks like like a pit bull. <laughs> yeah, we should bring this into two K one day. We should. I don't we should. If Russell Westbrook's type of play has always been predicated on transition. Not on a dead set. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. But even in the sense, like, I don't know if Gary Payton, even if in this time, could, like, it, it. now that we're past the arguments, I don't know if Gary Payton's a guy who could stand in front of Russell Westbrook. Athleticism-wise, as good as Gary Payton was defensively. I think he'd be, like, true holiday. Because, like, that pretty much negates my conversation of him guarding Mike. Like, MJ, to this day, could still be the greatest. Like, his athleticism was unseen. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's a tough argument. And it's definitely different types of athleticism, too, though. Yeah. Like, explosive versus just, like, being, like, Michael Jordan. Like, I feel like he is a walking, like, cement wall. Yeah, and MJ was a three-level scorer, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think the closest thing to MJ's game, I would honestly say, is DeMar DeRozan. And that that's not his primary weapon, but him operating in the mid-range. Oh, At least. Yeah. Score from anywhere. Yeah, just from like a play style, not like actual accolades and all that shit. But I think right. when he, I think when he's healthy, Kawhi is like the best. My in my opinion. Oh, like, Ash, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a better comparison. Kawhi is career um, a much better perimeter shooter than Mike. Yeah, I like, mean, think, think about Kawhi Leonard making Michael Jordan smile, so he, he doing something right. Kawhi is the best player of all time. Let's just be honest. <laughs> All right, Christian, your potential switches are Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard. Would you like to switch? Oh, wait, that means one of us will get Kyrie, one of us will get Damian Lillard. Oh, shit. If you choose to switch. All right, let's do it. I think we should should do that debate. Okay, okay. So we'll say one is Kyrie, two is Damian Lillard. I think this is, this has potential to be, this is going to be some heat. There's going to be some heat. All right. Okay, you got Sorry. Kyrie Irving. I am Dame Dalla. All right, let me just pull this up really quickly. All right, when that all this Okay, I'm going for Damian Lillard in three, two, one. Now, when it comes to the clutchest player of all time, it's Damian Lillard. There is no other player that could take a 40, 30 footer with no, with like no fear and be able to drain that shit. Damian Lillard is a guy who's the equivalent of a lot of things. A lot of these great NBA players. He's a Charles Barkley, MVP-level player. I don't know if he'll ever win a chip, just based off his situation. But when it comes to single players on the blacktop, I don't think Kyrie Irving can hang with Damian Lillard. You know, Kyrie Irving got all that fancy dribbling shit, but Damian Lillard, we've seen here and there, 
has the ability to clamp up. I think he'll definitely do that on Kyrie Irving. And then with Damian Lillard, if Kyrie's not guarding him fucking tight as Gary Payton would, he's not easy. Damian Lillard going to shoot that thing. Damian Lillard has the ability to score on all three levels. He's one of the best shooters in the world. In my opinion, when it comes to like the range and the prowess, I would say he's better than Steph. Steph obviously is in his own league, but Damian Lillard, the most clutchest, the most insane, and the dude. But all right. Christian, three, two, one, go. All right. So I think the argument of not being able to hang is like going to be irrelevant for this whole like kind of um, conversation just because both of them are like hanging around the same height. They're both agile um, players, but you know, Kyrie is known to be the best player with the best handles of all time. Like, you know, we can throw in Allen Iverson, but let's just continue with my argument. Um, That being said, I think when we're talking about the clutch, Kyrie is severely underrated. And I say that because of his shot on Steph Curry in that finals game. I think that was like a cemented shot in his career. And, you know, if we talk about rings, it's one to zero. Um, I don't think we need to go into statistics too much because truthfully, Kyrie is like the most like unorthodox point guard we've seen in quite a long time. He's like quite slithery with like averaging like close to like pretty much one and a half steals for like all of his prime career. Um, and obviously he's been a 20 points per game player. Um, yeah. Hey, rebuttal in three, two, one, go. Now, if you replace Kyrie Irving with Damian Lillard, I think LeBron James has more rings. I think, in my opinion, Damian Lillard, just with his ability to hang in the clutch, his ability to score on all three levels, to be consistent, I think is unmatched. There's a reason this guy's on the NBA 75 and the fact that he doesn't win. But the fact that he has scored 30 in a season, this dude has a 30 bomb. I don't know if Kyrie Irving has that in him. In a season. And uh, Kyrie Irving not going to be able to play half the games on the blacktop. (laughs) Christian, your rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. All right. So I think when we're talking about like actual shooting percentages, one thing that I haven't mentioned is that Kyrie on his career is close to being a 50-49 player with 47% from field goal percentage and 39% from three. And that's not accounting for his prime stats or his prime career stats where he's Averaged 56% from two point, and then he's had multiple 40 percent three point years. So I think in terms of um, you know the whole talk of LeBron rings, I, I think LeBron has as many as he's going to get. Jordan's the goat. That's the end of the conversation. Some good arguments made, man. We got room. Let me think on it for a sec, because the the whole thing about Dame shooting the long ball is important, because if he can just check up top and shoot the thing, that's a huge thing. But I like that Christian, and you kind of helped him with his, the argument, DJ, about this. You basically cemented his point that he is a blacktop player, and he's perfectly made for the blacktop. And you both kind of said defensively that they they both kind of wash each other out, which is true. They're both, in terms of man-to-man defense, they're both negatives. But then Christian did bring up the fact that Kyrie Irving has been a steal-a-game kind of player. And he's actually been underrated as a, as a system defender. 
And then he also hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history, and that was a huge one. But Dame's clutch game winner and his his ability to play in the clutch is huge because that means under pressure, like he's his ability to score is above anybody else, which is pretty much true. So this for me right now is a standstill. But I am going to give a very slight edge to Christian. I'm going to give him the very slight edge to Christian because you did help him with the argument regarding his ball handling. And when it comes to the blacktop, both guys are going to be up in each other's faces. And while Dame is a great shooter, his bag just isn't as deep as Kyrie Irving's. And Dame is also not a well-known shooter from within the range. Um, he can attack. He's he's more of an he's a very analytical player. He attacks the rim where he shoots from three. While Kyrie Irving's ability to score and create shots from anywhere on the floor, he touched on that, and so that kind of epitomizes what the blacktop is. So I think uh, DJ used that best advantage, and you kind of helped him a little bit there. So I'll give the very slight slight edge to Christian. Hey, okay, I respect that. There, if there's anybody I'd want to lose to is Kyrie. People forget Kyrie Irving went fucking fifty forty ninety last year. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, he's yeah. like almost a career fifty forty ninety player. Like that's pretty insane. Like you think about his handles and you think about like his selfishness, but this dude is like like a pretty uh, well up there player. Like probably still the second best card in the league. Yeah, actually, I mean, if, if, if they actually if they actually did like an NBA one on one tournament, I think Kyrie wins it. In my opinion. I mean, he literally just dropped 50 today. Yeah, and it's like the second most efficient of all time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. it's a slight edge, and that's yeah. probably... If, if I had to lose to anyone, uh, I'm glad it's Kyrie Irving. I feel like he's the hardest black player to, like, go up against. Yeah, when yeah. you brought NBA 75, that almost won it for you. That almost won it for you, considering the fact that his stature is also, like, on the big stage. But it's hard to argue the fact that he had the biggest shot to win the championship. So it's like, it's, it's very hard to, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, gotta... nah, all I'm saying, all that, all that is, all that was possible because of J.R. Smith. <laughs> Freaking guy. Nah, but hey, this was a fun one. Shoot. Y'all got anything to say before we end off here? Appreciate y'all for tuning in. Keep tuning in. And, uh. And thank you guys for, for all our, our supporters and new supporters that come through. We appreciate you guys. Appreciate yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been a blast as always. I think I've gotten the most heated I've ever gotten in, you know, this whole podcast realm we've got going on. Um, but I mean, for those who are listening, those, I mean, I guess for those who are listening, you know, share the podcast with people. Like, we'd love to hear feedback from whoever's listening to I'm always open to criticism and just, you know, getting better so we can, you know, keep doing this. 100%. With that, back shots. Nah, but for real. In all honesty, stay safe, stay blessed. We will see you all around. Have a good one.